0: What's up, everyone? This is Tadeusz Kalbarczyk, co founder of MG Poland, JS Poland, Dev and WorkshopFest.dev. Welcome back to the AngularMaster podcast. Today we've got a special guest from San Francisco, USA Angular Product Lead at Google. Speaker, author, blogger, podcaster, ladies and gentlemen, Minko Gecev. Hi, Minko. How are you today?
1: I'm doing great. How are you?
0: I'm feeling great. Let's talk a little bit about the future. What are the upcoming plans for Angular 17?
1: Yeah, so in version 17, we'll just continue executing on our plan for improving developer experience and performance. There will be a lot of updates around reactivity. So we'll be working on our signal-based components with the updated lifecycle and local change detection, making zone.js option over time. With server-side rendering, we'll be exploring more advanced features. So we have been looking into non-destructive hydration that is now part of the version 16 release. And in version 17, we are going to be looking into partial hydration. One good thing about the current implementation of the non-destructive hydration in version 16 is that it can handle out-of-the-box, lazily loaded components, which would allow us to delay hydrating parts of the component tree in version 17. So you'll be able to potentially specify some part of the component tree as a way in a way that enables later hydration at a certain point, and when the user performs certain action, we'll be able to download only the associated JavaScript with this part of the uh, DOM and hydrates view These are some of the bigger features. We're also expecting, uh, not expecting, but planning for now. Um, it's like uh, we have collaboration with the material design team at Google and together with them we're working on Angular Material. They're exposing a set of design tokens, defining a set of design tokens that will enable further customization. And we have been working uh, closer uh, together to ensure that Angular Material aligns with Material Design 3 and also is the reference implementation for Material 3 for the web, which means that if someone would like to see how Material Design 3 for the web looks like, uh, they should check out Angular Material, and from there, get inspiration about their styles and their customization. So I'll say these are the three biggest updates that are probably gonna land in version 17.
0: What can we anticipate for Angular in 2024?
1: 2024, most certainly, is going to enable a way to develop standalone components that are all the signal based and have local change detection with optional zone.js. We're also exploring a way to make uh, the format for developing components a little bit more minimalistic and simpler. So in version 2024, everything that works today is gonna continue working, but there will be a simpler way to build Angular your applications by using signals, and an improved experience for altering components and directives. So that's something that we'll be exploring like really deeply in 2024. We're also working really hard on improving the server-side rendering story. So there are currently a lot of sharp edges there. When you add Angular Universal, so just the experience is not as smooth as we'd like, like it to be. That's why when you're building a new application with Engine New, you're not getting a prompt whether you'd like to make your application server-side render from the beginning, just because there are a bunch of improvements in the developer experience that we'd like to introduce before that. And uh, so, yeah, 2024, I'm imagining a world in which people create an application with NGNU from the start. They're being asked whether they want it to be be server-side rendered. They can uh, say, yes, I want it to be server-side rendered. They can deploy it to an edge worker if they want to, so that they can perform edge rendering. And they have partial hydration so that they don't have to deliver all the JavaScript associated with their app all the time. And partial hydration to a big extent means that they're going to have server only components if they want to. Imagine your server render, server-side render server rendering component that doesn't handle any user interactions, well, this component can run only on the server. It doesn't have to reach the client at any point. Here, I don't mean the React server components because they have slightly different semantics. Like they create, they open an endpoints and render and like push data down the component tree. I just mean about the rendering mechanism. You can optionally load components that are after or don't have like a server-side semantics. So way better performance, more developer ergonomics and uh, smaller apps.
0: Now let's step back a bit in our deliberations. How do signals in Angular 16 change stage management for developers?
1: Uh, so there are different ways we can manage state. We have those global or like non-local state that we often ex- encapsulate in a service or in a parent component or in an NGRX store, the state management is not gonna be significantly changed. If you can use signals for it, you can, but you don't have to. You can continue using the same paradigm that you're currently relying on. There is also a local state management per component. So if you like to bind to a particular property of the component, currently you just bind to the property and that's it and it works. The way this is going to change with signal-based components is that you have to specify the properties like a signal so that when the property updates, it can notify the view, which part of the view has changed so that the framework can efficiently change all of this local part of the view without running global change detection. That's going to be a big, big difference. Another thing is that currently people try to emulate computed properties with pipes because pipes provide memoization. So you can have kind of like a computed property, something that depends on certain, like a property that depends on a certain calculation. And pipes have been powerful because if the inputs of the pipe, the pure pipe, they don't change, the pipe doesn't get re-executed. And uh, this way um, we, we can encapsulate like uh, heavy computations within pipes. Something with signals is that, well, signals come out of the box with computed properties. So you may not have to use pure pipes all the time, you may have to deal with pure concepts, which is pretty powerful by itself. And additionally, you will be able to plug into the lifecycle of the signal management with the effect hook. So you can hook into uh, like you can wrap the signals that you're interested in, into a callback that you pass to something uh, called effect, and uh, uh, you would know when exactly uh, to run this effect based on the updates of the signals that it observes. So these are some of the bigger changes around state management itself. There are a lot of changes in the in how Angular works internally and how more effective applications are going to be. Something that people should be keeping in mind throughout their state management about how they bind to properties is that in signal-based components, these are components that use signals and rely on the signals functionality to update the view. you would not be able to bind to plain properties in your template just because this can create some unpredictable side effects. Because imagine you bind to a signal and you bind to also plain like regular property, when you update the signal, the view is going to know about this update and could be automatically refreshed and re-rendered. But if you update uh, just a plain old JavaScript property, in this case, there is no way for us to notify the view that something has changed, and the view might be updated or might not be updated depending on whether in the meantime something triggered refresh, like a signal change. So that's a that's a new constraint that we're going to have with the signal-based components.
0: Will we need state management in the future?
1: Yeah, Some like imagine that uh, like two components share states and they map it to something, like they share common states. You pass, let's say, a user object to both of these components. In this case, it's likely you'd like to um, move this shared object in a parent component or in a service somewhere. So when it changes, it notifies both of these components and you can apply this, you can implement this notification mechanism with a signal. We can do that, you can interrupt in a signal and you can notify both components when something change. Or you can be using services that wrap the components, like this the share state in a signal and notify the, the dependent components when something, anything has changed. State manager will be still necessary, yeah. There are different levels of state management.
0: So what's up with RxJS?
1: Um uh, so something that I'm particularly excited about Signals is how it is going to, the implication it is going to have on the way people are using signals, uh, are using rxjs within Angular. So we knew that the way that Angular uses signals, uh, uses, sorry, rxjs right now, it is kind of suboptimal mm-hmm. because we have rxjs in a lot of places in the framework, but also, RxJS has like a slightly competing paradigm with the way Angular performs change detection today. And it doesn't fit, RxJS doesn't fit naturally in Angular. So people who really love using RxJS sometimes need to do some hacks to opt out of certain behaviors of Angular. They sometimes even completely stop using zone.js and rely on RxJS pushing values and binding to these values with the async pipe which is a completely valued, like viable option. It's just not the most ergonomic one. Everywhere you bind to a value, you have to specify the async pipe. And also you're kind of not using your change detection mechanism, which is one of the biggest value propositions. And at the same time, some people really don't want to use RxJS because it's overwhelming for them and that's fine. They don't have to, if they don't want to. So we wanted to improve the developer experience for both of these groups people who want to use RxJS and people who don't want to use RxJS. And I'm happy that signals are doing this. (laughs) So with signals, people who want to use more RxJS, they can translate, like convert or transform signals to observables. And specifically for this use case, we're going to have signal-based inputs and outputs, which people who like RxJS will be able to convert to observables and directly use as part of their reactive like flow in their application. It would be way more natural to use RxJS with the signals component model. Uh, that's I guess the biggest benefit that RxJS developers are going to get. Just this very smooth interoperability between RxJS and signals. Another benefit for people who don't love RxJS so much is that the signals API would provide like signals and and Rx are generally like pretty different APIs serving different purpose. The only similarity, I guess, is that you can have values over time. That's like you're getting updates over time. Um, And this is a pretty valuable feature when you're building a web framework. So people who would like to, who prefer to use less Rx, they'll be able to just use a simpler signal-based API. And over time, we'll be reducing the API surface that relies on RHS. An example is outputs. In the signal-based components, outputs are not going to be observable anymore, or there will be signals, but you'll be able to transform them to observables because of the interoperability. So yeah, those dependency on RHjs is going to reduce, but also people will be able to interoperate throughout through uh, RxJS better with signals.
0: So without ng-modules, how can we structure our Angular applications in the future?
1: Yeah, relying closer uh, to like on JavaScript standards. So JavaScript has modules already, and in these modules we can export or not different symbols and different like direct access pipe services. And uh, that's pretty much enough having fewer concepts. So rather than using the NG modules as a a building unit, we can be using the JavaScript, ECMAScript modules. That's what the rest of the community has been doing. And that's what the Angular community can start doing as well. I know that some people still enjoy NG modules because they're used to the concept. And the good thing is that NG modules are not going away. You can continue using them for, for as long as you want to. But also you don't have to. Like imagine junior developer joining a product joining your engineering team, and this junior developer have, having experience with React, where they are relying way more heavily on ECMAScript modules. When they hear about this engine module concept, they will be a little confused, like they will know what, what is going on. So having empathy towards beginners who are not familiar with the concept and enabling them to not use it if they don't have to, I think this could be helpful.
0: Isn't importing the whole context into standalone components exhausting
1: yeah it could be a little exhausting and we're planning some improvements in this Uh, i mentioned in 2024 we'll be exploring a better like more ergonomic altering experience for components and that's part of it so the difference with how angular is developed and how other frameworks work let's say is that angular has this concept of selectors and this concept of selectors is really flexible because you can have just an element on the page and you can handle this element with a directive without having to change the page at all. Compared to other frameworks where in order to enhance, like you can't really ex- enhance an element, you'd have to render a component. And selectors are really powerful for sure. And um, we need them a lot of the time, but not all the time. In fact, when we want to enhance a components or like an element dynamically, I'll say that's the maybe 10% of the time or even less. A good example is the image directive that we developed with Chrome. It is really powerful to be able to just say, well, I want to enhance all my images that use the ngsrc attribute. And this just works. But also at the same time, most of the time you just want to just import a component and start using it the way that people are doing it in TSX or JSX. we using the JavaScript lexical scope rather than creating your own scope with these selectors. And we we'll would like to make sure that we enable both. If you want to use a component, you'll be able to just import it and use it rather than having to import it and declare it within the whole, within the standalone components imports.
0: What's with existing source code and libs? Are standalone components compatible?
1: Yeah, standalone components are compatible with existing uh, with existing uh, code and libraries because in you know, a standalone component, you can import an NG module. So that's like a that's a pretty big guiding principle for us that we want to ensure that the rest of the ecosystem continues working when we make a change to the framework. I guess in fact, in a way, we, we work a little bit like the web platform. When we introduce a new feature, we want to make sure that it continues work. Like everything that currently exists continues working the way it exists today. And to make sure that we don't make the framework huge. Once in a while, we can implement automated migrations that move your component to the latest Angular features. That's a big advantage we have compared to the web platform. Something that has been working in the 90s needs to continue working today with the modern browser standards. There is no way to make sure everyone is on the latest browser. And with ng update, that's what we're trying to do, making sure that everyone is on the latest Angular.
0: What benefits come from making change optional in Angular?
1: It's going to be more optional I guess in the future. In version 16 we're introducing signals and uh later on you will be able to we will be able to really like provide you optional zonejs that you don't have to rely on. That's maybe going to be in version 17 or 18. The big benefit is that we don't have to run change detection all over the application every time when something might have changed currently. Angular traverses the whole component tree with, could be with thousands of components, and checks every single component if if it has changed or not. It's kind of a simple model also, but most of the time, Angular does redundant work because most of the components haven't changed. So this impacts the performance. And uh, we would like to fix this. So with optional zone.js, We will not have to bring Zorgias to the browser, which is another like 20, 30 kilobytes. That's a lot of codes. And additionally, we're going to be able to perform local change detection. These are some of the biggest benefits.
0: How does Angular 16's non-destructive hydration improve server-side rendering?
1: Yeah, so in version 16, we are adding the developer preview of non-destructive hydration. Previously, when you render your application on the server, you get the html sss delivered to the browser the browser renders everything just converting that html to a DOM tree and rendering everything onto the screen and after that when it discovers a script tag which is your application code it will download this code and the application code will completely destroy the view it is going to only leave your root element and from this moment on it is going to re-render your application So this could cause flickering of your app. What we're doing with the non-destructive hydration is we're fetching, like everything is the same, we're fetching the code from the CDN, but rather than destroying the whole structure, what we're doing is we are traversing the existing DOM tree and attaching event listeners when creating internal Angular data structures. This is way more efficient because it enables us to not having to re-render everything and not introduce the flickering. And additionally, imagine your application receives the browser, like the browser renders it, and there is a big image that, that is a candidate for the largest contentful pain for Core Web Vitals. In this case, the image is loading, and at certain points, the framework takes over, destroys the whole thing, the image stops loading because it's no longer necessary, and the framework re-renders the exact same UI with the image being there. So the image starts loading again, but this time delayed after the script has been executed, which can delay your largest contentful paint significantly and produce poor Core Web Vitals. We found that sometimes it can impact your Core Web Vitals with up to like 55% or so. So with, core, with uh, the non-instructive hydration, this is just not going to be a problem.
0: What we can expect from the sbuild build dev server in Angular?
1: Yeah, expecting faster build times. We did some early tests and cold builds for NGSurf are about twice as fast. The dev server is using Vit, so we're not using Vit for build system. That's we're trying to make that clear. Um we're using Vit for a development server. And uh, SBuild is just going to enable builds to be faster. That's pretty much its all purpose. And the cool thing is that developers don't have to do anything. They just have to update their Angular JSON. It's important to notice that built is in developer preview in version 16. So there are some still missing capabilities. For, for example, internet serialization is not supported yet. That's something that will be working towards uh, version 17 so that we can enable it for everyone by default.
0: Can you explain how the migration to standalone components works?
1: The first, I guess the three options are, the first one is migrating your NG module, uh, your Angular um, components, directives and pipes to standalone. Yeah, and exactly. while you update them to standalone, there are some modules that no longer need to exist because all of the directives and pipes and services within them are standalone. And this enables the, the, the um, schematics to delete the standalone uh, these tangent modules that are no NG longer NG. necessary.
0: How does binding routing info to component inputs enhance routing in Angular?
1: This has been a feature that people were asking for for a while, and we are finally moving forward with it. I'm pretty happy about with that. So if you have a router, if you have a route with a specific component and this route accepts data, it could be coming from a resolver, from a query parameter, or from uh, some data property, the component can receive this data as an input rather than having to inject like route parameters, for instance, and, and get the parameters from there. That's a significant improvement of the developer experience. And it's going to enable developers to delete some code.
0: What is Angular Ref feature and how does it help with component cleanup?
1: Yeah, so the good thing with, with uh, destroy ref is that it enables you to invoke your ng on destroy hook, like pretty much anywhere. You can What what you can do is, let's say in your component you declare a property which is, let's say, property equals subscribe to an observable. And in this subscribe to an observable function you can inject destroy ref and you can pass a callback which is going to be invoked when this corresponding component gets destroyed and in this callback you can unsubscribe from the observ- observable so it enables you provides you higher flexibility and enables you to hook into the component life cycle uh in different places so this was impossible for you with the uh this was impossible before with the ng-on destroy hook uh since there was like literally no way for you to invoke the uh, like subscribe to the invocation of the ngon destroy hook so that you can perform certain cleanup you have to put the codes in there directly in the function itself directly in the in the method itself and now it just provides a higher flexibility that allows better integration with let's say rx.js
0: how do angular material libraries design tokens impact angular app development
1: yeah so currently uh, what developers need to do is to use some like mix mixins that are not very customizable. Um, they provide you like the bare minimum to update your component styles through some overrides. With the design tokens that are coming to Material 3, people have way higher flexibility to do that. There is going to be like a set of hundreds of design tokens that you'll be able to specify of the Material library that you can finally tune your components this tool will not enable you to change all the styles of your components but there is going to be a like way higher flexibility there and uh, the good thing is i guess that the material team at google is going to ensure that these don't change too frequently so that there is higher there is higher flexibility but also stability this is the biggest advantage i guess the higher flexibility for customizing existing material components
0: how to flatten angular learning path
1: yeah there are a series of improvements that we're thinking, but we're rolling out incrementally because you know like we want to gradually evolve the Angular ecosystem. So one of the things is standalone components are on the way are like one of the foundational steps there. Previously developers had to learn about NG modules and about the scoping of NG modules. And now this is an optional concept that developers don't have to learn from the beginning. Or eventually, don't have to learn at all if they only work on a standalone apps. Or standalone apps. Another benefit over time that we're going to see is around improving the component altering experience. Like, if you have a look at the signal based components, they have fewer lifecycle hook, hooks. They still have ng on init and ng on destroy, but uh, the ng after viewing it and ng do check and ng after. All these all these hooks are no longer going to be necessary. There are going to be a few hooks, such as after next effect, and like uh, I think two more around signals that are going to provide the necessary functionality for you to plug into the like signal or like change detection lifecycle. But that's gonna be that's gonna be it. So fewer things to learn, and also another shift that we're going through is making decorators optional. Because decorators, even though Angular pretty much contributed to making them part of the JavaScript standard, um, there are new syntax that developers don't have to learn unnecessary, like to build components. If you can see the signal-based components, they don't have decorator-based inputs and outputs. Uh, They are functional-based. So you can. Just create an input by walking the input function or an output by invoking by the output function. We'll see what we can do in this sense around the component directive and pipe decorators. Can we make them optional as so well? Maybe. So that's the next step. Just simpler component altering experience is a big part of the simplification that we're working towards. Another is simpler directory structure of the Angular CLI Project output. We made a significant improvement since version fourteen, where we made a lot of the files optional, such as environments. Right now, they don't come in with the new project structure by default. You can very easily generate them, though. There is a generator that allows you to provide them after all, afterwards. You don't have polyfills or uh, test.ts, even browser list RC. All these are optional that you can provide, but by default, your project structure is way simpler. So, um, at the same time, we want to make sure that we're still shipping applications with best practices included. So, we will continue going with TypeScript. We realize that this is a little bit of a challenge. If you go to bootcamp, you are likely learn JavaScript because TypeScript comes in with like type checking and more build time things compared to JavaScript, where they can just type something literally in the browser and it works. With uh, TypeScript, things are a little bit more challenging, but we still really believe that this is a good practice that developers should be using. So we're not going away from it. It's tricky to find the right balance between complexity, like reducing complexity and keeping, still enabling best practices. So in a summary, The biggest changes that we're making towards, I guess the biggest change that we're making towards simplifying the learning journey is simplifying the component altering experience. That's a big part of it. Simplifying the Angular CLI so that it comes in with less conceptual overhead as well, and also improving the learning journey, improving the documentation, there is going to be a lot coming up there in the next year where we'll be working on a more engaging, altering, uh, more engaging learning experience and also easier and easier to digest tutorial.
0: Now let's move on to non-technical questions. I know you are a big martial arts fan. So how, why, and when did you start? What was the biggest lesson you learned from martial arts?
1: Good questions, yeah. Well, I started when I was a kid, when I was eight year old. I was excited about Chuck Norris, the movie star, Chuck Norris, and was really excited about uh, practicing martial arts. Yeah, I remember, really wanted to find a place where I could practice, but I did not know at all. I was also in a small town, 20,000 people. And I was going to uh, English lessons in one place. And one kid, my classmate, I guess there, came up one day really excited, like overly hyped because he just got his yellow belt in karate. And she was so excited. He punched me in the nose, like pretty hard. I started bleeding a lot, like I bled for many hours. Literally for hours. And I was really upset and angry how who could and kinda of scared maybe how he could punch me in the low that way. Anyway, like eventually I was able to talk to him again, maybe even the next time, and I asked him, Where are you training karate? Can I go there too? And he told me. So um I joined when I was yeah, when I was eight second grade something that sports teaches in general i guess and martial arts too is um some persistence that you just like show up and even if it doesn't feel good uh it pays back over time so that's that's one thing for sure that has made a difference just kind of showing up and working hard and being consistent this doesn't mean that We should be like, I'll be working all the time because I also understand that working all the time would also burn me out. So that's why I'm not a fan of like coding uh, marathons, such as hackathons, where you work really hard for 24 or 48 hours and after that you're burned out. Uh, I prefer like consistency, just showing up every day and working and trying to be better, just like in karate. working on the same things on the farm and improving over time with small fine-grained improvements
0: in that case what is your favorite movie
1: <laughs> uh i liked one movie which is very cryptic movie it's uh, called octagon it doesn't have to do anything with ufc or mma or any of that stuff uh, i really liked it when i was eight or seven uh my f- Current favorite movie about martial arts is probably one Japanese movie called Uro Obi. Uh It's about karate, and it's a pretty good karate movie. Probably the best one I've ever ever watched. So I I really like like this one. Maybe not my favorite movie ever. I have other favorite movies. So I like uh, *Fight Club* a lot too. Like it is, it is an interesting movie, on the, just philosophically interesting and kind of a little provoking movie. Can martial
0: arts be started at any age?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we have some people in the dojo who started in their seventies. Wow. And they're moving forward with the grading. A good thing about karate is actually, I like martial arts in general. I really enjoy them. I, I, I've done, I've done karate. I've done boxing. I've done um, uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I've done white Thai. One thing that I really appreciate about karate is that even if you're injured, you can continue practicing and can continue improving. I did, I did Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It's really fun. A lot of people say it's very practical. I mean, it could be practical. I don't know. Everything could be practical if you practice it in a certain way. And uh, I injured my low back there because sometimes you... I mean, I'm at 170 pounds. That's like about 80 kilos. I was uh, rolling with someone who was like way heavier than me. And, um, I wanted to, you know, like to win there and I think I might have won. I don't remember, but, uh, I ended up injuring my back. I understood that after we were done, but I couldn't practice anything else in karate for, for a while, for over a year. I started practicing white Thai for a little bit after that. And it's really fun because it's, you have a lot of shared techniques between karate and white tie it's, uh, I like a lot of things about white Thai too, um, just, it, it feels good, but also these strong kicks, I ended up injuring my hip, not by being kicked, but by kicking, and uh, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't like walk for a couple of days, um, even went to like a surgeon even to check what is going on, and I've been doing uh, exercises to fix this hip pain for a while, And in the meantime, I've been consistently training karate with very little injuries. If I want to push a little bit further and go like do more sparring and fights, I can injure myself for sure if I really want to. (laughs) But it enables me to do this consistent practice.
0: How many days a week do you exercise?
1: Yeah, I exercise... uh, Well, I do different kind of exercises also. Um, So I do a lot of strength training three times a week, Monday, uh, Wednesday, Friday. With dumbbells and uh, uh, like app roller, a lot of body weight training. Um, I do karate. I go to the to the dojo only once a week on well, Thursday. Is just very, it's kind of inconvenient. And I do further practices by myself whenever I find time, just practicing the technique, practicing some kata. Uh, going to Japan hopefully, like this year. So I will be practicing Okinawa for a week. Uh, fingers crossed that. No injuries and everything is gonna work out. I've been wanting to go there since I was eight.
0: Wow, that's amazing! When when you plan to go to Japan?
1: Uh, the the beginning of August, end uh, of July. I have some okay. conferences, and after that, I'm taking some time time off to yeah. the karate.
0: Yeah, that's that sounds really cool, Minto. I want to thank you for participating in the podcast. It's always such a pleasure to chat with you. I appreciate your involvement and I can't wait to see you again.
1: Thank you, Derek. It's really fun talking to you too. And uh, yeah, thank you for the questions.
0: All right, as we hit absolute end of this episode, make sure you dive into my other rad show, JavaScript Master Podcast. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your top listening platform. And if you are vibing with us on YouTube, go ahead and smash the subscribe button and ring that notification bell to stay hooked with the freshest episodes. Thanks for love and keep jamming to our content.